Hello, this is Michael Zuber, and I wanted to thank you for choosing to spend a little time with One Rental at a Time. My life's mission is to help investors close 1 million rental properties. In order to tackle this crazy goal, I will need your help. If you like this episode or any of the content we produce, please share it on social media. If you get one of my books or perhaps one of our 500 cards, please take a selfie and tag one rental at a time. Now on with the show. Alrighty folks, as one rental at a time is growing, we are able to attract other amazing individuals in the real estate game. And I have a surprise guest for you today, the one and only Jay Parsons. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so for the few folks out there that may not know what you do for a day job, let us know what you do and how you play in the housing game. We'll get into a couple of key topics. Well, sure. Well, thank you. Um, uh, so I'm uh, the chief economist at RealPage. And what we do is get uh, primarily a software company that gets data through our property management systems. And we're able to analyze that and kind of keep track of what's happening in the market. And so we have a team here that keeps track of things and tries to uh, forecast where the market's going a little bit too. Absolutely. Now, just for the audience to watch this, a lot of multifamily, a lot of single family, would you say your orientation is towards multifamily? So we'll call it five units and above and really probably a hundred units and above. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, well, I, I, we, we, I, I try to cover it all of all of it, but certainly we have better data on the, uh, on the larger multifamily side for sure. Absolutely. So if we step back and look at the larger multifamily, I think we just got housing starts uh, earlier in the week that kind of talks about single family four and below and five and above. And what did you really take away from this weekend? And what's the bigger story on construction and, and inventory? Because we hear a lot of starts, a lot of things coming, but what's the real deal? Yeah, no, it's uh, there's been some good exchanges on, on, on Twitter or X about this. And, you know, the, the, the people on the ground just aren't seeing this and we're not seeing it in the data either. There's really no acceleration of starts um, in our own data. And I've seen similar from some of our competitors and peers in the industry. You know, we're seeing starts are down 40 plus percent. And you talk to developers out there and, you know, they're all having trouble getting financing. And if they can, it's at very low loan to cost ratios, which means they have to raise more equity. And that's just hard to do. And so it's a it's a very challenging environment right now for developers. And uh, as a result, there's just not a lot happening this year, especially compared to the boom of 21, 22 for construction. Yeah, I think there's really, a, I don't think the average person understands how, I don't know, I'll call it tight lending is and kind of the commercial, yeah. uh, you know, regional banks who used to do the lion's share of this business. Even if they are doing loans, loan to cost is down, loan to value, you know, for the residential folks. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's going to impact next year, right? That's going to be supply that doesn't show up. And in multifamily, that gap, that air pocket that we're creating, that could actually work against the Fed, right? Because if, if, if it's not there, if supply is not there, that could be a problem, you know, at least in the future and maybe see shelter inflation come back. I think it's rolling over now, but if we create a big enough air pocket, it, it could be a problem next year or the year after, perhaps. Yeah, I think more like 2025. I mean, the, the nature of these multifamily projects in particular, most of them that are getting built these days are 200 plus unit properties that take, you know, 18, 24 months to complete. And so we had a lot of starts at the end of last year. And so that really carries us through next year. But uh, by the time we hit 25, you know, at this point, you know, the industry consensus is that if the economy is still in pretty good shape, we should see, um, you know, some effective uh, rent growth reemerge 
in 2025 as, as uh, demand catches up to supply. So, you know, I, I don't think it'll be a situation like we saw in 21, which is kind of a perfect storm of factors and broader inflation. But but certainly, I think it's it's reasonable to expect um, some reacceleration in rents by that point. Yeah. Well, let's, so that's what's coming. Let's talk about where we are. I think to your point, you kind of made a comment earlier that there was a lot of construction or a boom, you know, started in 2020, yep. 2021. A lot of that product is landing now. And at yep. least my opinion, you're in the you're in the weeds of this. A lot of it seemed to be pretty concentrated. So if you talk, you know, national numbers, it may not appear like a problem. But when you look at the micro data, we got a couple of markets that got a lot of inventory coming. Uh, kind of all seemingly at the same time. Is that how you see the data? Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, the construction I think is is pretty much in most spots across the country, but it's certainly, um, uh, there's certainly some areas that are getting a lot more than others. Um, you know, there's there's very few major markets that are totally uh, immune to supply at this point. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot, and particularly these, you know, boom markets like like Austin and Salt Lake City, Nashville, Charlotte, you know, and then smaller markets like Huntsville is actually in the nation, Huntsville, Alabama, and wow. uh, in relative pace of construction adjusted for size. So, sure. you know, these type of high growth markets are of a lot of supply. And, you know, you know, the demand will be there in the long term. These are great spots. But in the short term, we're going to see a supply demand imbalance, which is going to create a, a variable, very favorable environment for renters. But also, too, even, you know, a lot of a lot, I see a lot of analysts that are just sort of, uh, I think, I think kind of lazily implying there's no supply in the West Coast, as an example. And that's not really true either. You have some really high concentrated pockets on a submarket level of supply. And we see this especially in downtowns across the major cities on the West Coast, but also in, you know, some 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 particular suburbs like, you know, in West L.A. and some of the, the tech corridors in Seattle and in Santa Clara and outside of in the Silicon Valley. So there's and even outside of San Diego. So there, there are some hot spots, and even on the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would love to talk about is, you know, I, I call them financial engineers, and I'll define that in a minute. But there was a lot of activity in multifamily uh, the last couple yeah. of years, a lot of, you know, cap rate compression, uh, a lot of novices, in my opinion, kind of jumping in, playing with spreadsheets, making numbers work, overpaying, <laughs> raising LP uh, money. Um, have you looked into that data? Did you see lots of assets retrade multiple times for you know seemingly lower and lower cap rates? Is, is a lot of this because a lot of that I think is done, and we just got to pay the price for for bad deals, frankly. Yeah, you know, there, there was um, I don't have the exact numbers, but there were a lot of new investment groups that came into the market these last few years. You know, not just for multifamily, but for for SFR as well. Uh, there's a I think what's interesting now is we're in this cycle where you know a couple of decades ago rental housing. SFR and multifamily really was 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 kind of viewed as a as an alternative asset class, and even on the institutional level, we had limited interest in it. Uh, much more interested in office than in than in rental housing, and we've really seen that switch over these last fifteen years since the Great Financial Crisis, but especially since COVID hit, and a lot of office investors now moving into uh, rental housing as well. So so yeah, I think I think given the perfect storm of factors, more capital coming into the space, low interest rates drives up values. Um, you know, it, it 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 made sense to retrade the asset if you could if you could. I heard so many stories about these investors who said, you know what, I just got my eight year return in year yeah. three. You know, yeah. like why don't I just go ahead and and uh, recycle some capital here? Well, it was it, in my opinion, it was the classic kids game of musical chairs. If you were lucky yeah. enough, you know, to get in and out. That's why I call them financial engineers. They were not operators. 
one of the things that I've seen about multifamily is you really do got to be a good operator. You got you got hundreds yeah. of families sometimes, you know, several hundred families living together. It's hard, right? I, I own units, you know, it, my biggest is 20 units. So it's nothing like this. And you're a counselor, right? You, yeah. you have to do all of that. So I can only imagine what 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 you know 200 or 400 or a thousand is. And I think a lot well, of people got in for easy money and it's not easy. Yeah. Well, and, and, and kind of to your point, I think when in in, in a generational high period like that in 21 and 22, you know, even the worst investors with the worst strategies and the worst asset managers, the worst operators, all of them could kind of benefit from this rising tide boosts all ships effect, right? But now I think we're in a period of the cycle that really separates good investment strategies and bad investment strategies, good operators and bad operators. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that uh, kind of in the next couple of years. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I want to talk to you know yourself as a chief economist is kind of shelter inflation. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's come off the boil a little, but still high. I think the last reading CPI was like seven percentish, seven one, something like that. Um, are we on a trajectory where the math says it will come down over the next several months, just given the way it's calculated, or, I, or do I misunderstand it and it, it may spike again? No, you got it. And uh, you, you, I, if anybody's kind of read some of my posts on this, I try to comment on it every month when it comes out. And, and uh, it's something that I, you know, I get pretty fired up about. So I can get kind of down the, 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 the data nerd rabbit hole pretty quickly here. But uh, with that warning. So, uh, you know, what's interesting is you probably know about shelter is shelter is the one thing that's not really real time pricing in the right. consumer price index. So, you know, people listening, I mean, you know, you think about what's in the CPI, you think about things like food and gas, you know, those kind of things, like everybody sees kind of a real-time price when you go to the store and that's what's reflected in the CPI. Well, shelter is very different. Uh, shelter is predominantly just rent, even to represent homeowners. And it's designed what the industry would call, like anybody who's a, um, an operator would call more like your in-place rent or your rent roll, which is going to lag your asking rents or your street rents. And so uh, because of that, it's kind of a slow moving ship. But every, I think any, anybody in the business knows that, you know, if your asking rents are quickly going down, your rent roll revenue and your in-place rents are not going up. Right. right <laughs> and so right. it's a it's a preordained kind of predestined downward path that I think will continue uh, at least over the next nine months. Like it just right. it's a slow moving ship. It's not going to reaccelerate. Like I think we have. And I, I think the Fed's sort of holding out for the 1% chance that it does, and they kind of have yeah. to because they've kind of, you know, they've, they've relied on this metric, uh, so they can't change their story now. But, you know, we all know where this train's going. Yeah, I, I've tried to, you know, a lot of people that watch my channel aren't economists, aren't in the weeds uh, like yourself or, or, you know, trained as an economist as I was. I tried to explain it as a roller coaster, 12 carts or whatever they're called and we've got three of them over the edge and you know there's nine more coming it's a mathematical certainty right it's not, i like that yeah you know it's not an opinion so does that play yeah yeah no it does it's a uh, you know kind of your point like the carts like you know the way that and, and i'll try to say this in a way that's it's, it's you know your analogy is much uh simpler than mine but you know you, you, if you have 12 carts like each one's a month right, right. out of the 12 month calendar and um, what's happening is like everyone acts surprised when, you know, everyone looks at year over year numbers. Yeah. Well, the year over year number, 11% of it is already determined, right? Correct. It's just the next month. So what's happening right now is we're replacing big numbers from last year, like let's say September, 2022 with a lower number for September, 2023. So when we look back, like the, the biggest bumps in shelter inflation 
occurred from in the second half of last year through February of this year. And so those are numbers that we just are not realistically going to surpass. And so, again, I think by the time we get to the spring, maybe it changed a little bit. But I, I think I think by spring next year, those numbers are going to look more normal. Yeah, I've, I've been, you know, I've been harping on this every month because I think the next two months are actually the biggest in this second, biggest and third biggest in the series. So there should be hmm. meaningful drop. Now, obviously, gasoline or something else can come behind it and kind of. Yeah, yeah. It. But, you know, shelter unlike everything else is this formula right we're just going to take the you know last month or last year's number off and put on this one this one's going to be smaller than that one and that means the average goes down it's it is just math for shelter yep yep it's easy math it's not complicated no well it's it's easy for 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 economists and it's really hard for the public because they just blows their mind it's like how can that be it's just it's all thing um yeah well and the other other thing too i was pointing out too is like i see a lot of people on twitter comment was like hey well this can't be true because my rent is still going up. And I always remind people, say, hey, like the numbers you see are averages and medians. And so there's yeah. always going to be people who are on both sides of that average and median. There's 48 million uh, renters uh, in our country, something like 40, 49 million renter households. So, uh, you know, you, you, you are not, you, any individual is not necessarily representative of the overall population. Yeah, average and median really, again, another thing that I have to explain sometimes, it really blows people's minds away. Uh, I do want to, you know, I know you do a lot of work in multifamily. I get asked this question. I'll give you my answer and then correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's a lot of people that talk about rent. And generally speaking, they're referring to multifamily, right? It's the biggest number. It's out there. A lot of units are coming construction like we talked about. Um, at least the numbers I've seen is rents in apartments are, I think, I actually, you posted this and I reached out to you. I think the last month was up 0.1 again yep. nationally <clears throat> yep. I mean, you know last year was nine percent or whatever it was so again back to that whole rent coming down thing but when i look at single family and i haven't found a good report for single family so i only can use my 20 years of experience single family rentals seem to be up um you know everybody wants to be in a home they want the backyard they want space for zoom calls and all of that um have you seen data breaking down multifamily versus single family and if you have it where would one person go to see it yeah, no, there are. I mean, to your point, there there are a lot of data sources out there, but they don't agree with each other. And so <laughs> it's really difficult to figure out what's what. Like I've seen, I saw one on the low end that, that had uh, single family rents uh, close to zero, like apartments. Uh, I, I don't think I really believe that one. But I, I think the most that I've, I think the general view is whether the numbers, you know, 3% or 5%, we're not in double digits anymore. The numbers are moderating. But, you know, I think it's pretty clear that single family rentals are outperforming multifamily at this point, but you're still just seeing some normalization. You're not going to sustain 10% rent growth. No, I and nor would I want to. I think it's very unhealthy. It becomes very, it's, it, you know, problems start breaking when, when you see double digits like that. So, yeah. but I was just curious, you know, single family and multifamily. I actually think, you know, because again, I've played in single family and multifamily for 20 some years. I actually think they run in different cycles. Everybody talks about the real estate market. I, in, in my 20 years, you know, single families can rip you know, multifamilies could be soft and, and then single families could crash. And I really see different cycles, but everybody wants to put them together. This from this is from a buying and investing landscape. Do you see it as one big, you know, kind of, you know, real estate market or do you kind of break it apart? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think of it in kind of concentric circles where there's a lot of overlap, but there's also some unique aspects. The, uh, you know, one thing I think is really important is sometimes, you know, the, 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 the economists, you know, like myself, sometimes we just, we make this 
too too much of a cold process. We imagine people sitting at a kitchen table and saying, hey, is it better and cheaper to rent or buy? And do I do single family or multifamily? Like people don't, most people, there's always somebody who does. But most people that I've ever met in real life don't actually think like that. Like you think about like, what are the drivers and uh, to go into single family rentals? Oftentimes, like this is a life stage and a lifestyle thing. I'll give you like some real stats here. Like the, the median age for an apartment renter is 31. The median age for single family rentals uh, renters are early 40s and more likely to have kids. Uh, we see very few, particularly school age children living in market rate apartments. Now, it's a little different in affordable housing, but in market rate, we just don't see it as, as much. And so um, and so, so I guess to answer your question is I think that both kind of obviously are tied to the broader economy and household formation. I mean, all the usual demand stuff, but there are some nuances that are driven by demographics. And especially if you're in an area that's an aging population and not seeing a lot of like in migration of young adults coming out of college, things like that, you know, single family rentals are probably going to be doing much better in those situations. Or on the flip side of that, it's a very, you know, younger market that's booming, you know, not enough apartment supply for, uh, you know, uh, for that demographic, you can see apartments do better. So again, there's some overlap, but I think also some unique, obviously, differences there. I love that. I love that. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't get a chance to ask you about, you know, what your crystal ball shows. And obviously yours is as broken as everyone else's. But I see a lot of a comparison. There are a lot of people want to make our next two years in the real estate game, like the GFC. You know, everybody wants to talk crash and you want us to talk this. We got existing home sales today. We can talk about that in a minute. I actually think, and I don't know if you've done research on this, I think the next couple of years is going to be very much like the SNL crisis, kind of the early 80s. And, you know, we could have some some significant commercial pain office, you know, other stuff. Um, you know, I don't know if we're going to have another RTC or, or whatnot, but there's, there's some pain coming. It's not, in my opinion, the GFC, uh, probably more akin to the savings alone crisis, but I'm curious if you've had a, a look at any of that. Yeah, no, it's a it's a tough question. Like you said, I you know I like to tell people people always ask about the crystal ball, and I always tell them it's it's fuzzy, uh, <laughs> not broken entirely, just 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 very very fuzzy. Uh, but uh, no, it's 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 uh, obviously as much art as science. But um, no, I I I think that's a good question. I mean, I I, I think there's a lot of uh, you know the doomers on Twitter who who uh, you know they, they've been they, they've predicted you know what's the joke you know 500 of the last two recessions. So, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I. I think, um, you know, I, I think let me put it this way. I think 24 is going to be a tough year. And yeah. uh, I think, you know, this is you've, you've had a lot of uh, groups out there, uh, particularly in the multifamily side, newer groups that um, are going to have financing issues. Um, you know, the slowdown in rents really isn't that. I mean, I don't want to say it's not a problem, but it's like the compressing margins is manageable for somebody who's been a long term holder has a manageable cost of debt, doesn't have their, uh, you know, maturing loan, you know, expenses could probably go faster than, than revenues for, you know, a year or two. And most owners can withstand that. Right. Um, but if you're in this group where it's a financing issue, it's not a physical real estate issue or fundamentals issue. It's a financing issue. Right. I think 24 could be very, very challenging for that group. And so I, I don't, I don't know that, that the, that the, like, like I agree with you, I don't think the GFC is necessarily a good comparison point to that. There's some similarities but, um, you know, at that point, too, we had a massive recession and there was a fundamentals issue in addition to financing issues. This is and actually the financing issues wasn't even in multifamily. I, actually, it was really single family. Yeah. So I think this one is, is a different situation. And those who bought 
at peak prices with short-term floating rate debt. I mean, some of them are going to be in a world of hurt. Well, I think that's the key. And, and I actually talked about this with Ken McElroy, um, obviously a big multifamily investor. And I, I was telling him um, that I saw the same financing stupidity the last couple of years in multifamily that I saw in residential in 05. The problem in residential in 05, you didn't see the pain until the debt reset, right? 51% of debt was, or 51% of mortgages in 05 were arms. Some of that, I think 14% of that was pick a payment arms toxic garbage we had the same kind of behavior in multifamily in my opinion with all these new entrants bridge debt two-year io all of these five percent rent assumption or rent growth for five years all of these just excel-based stupidity non-operators financial engineers there's a price to pay for that but residential at least heading into 2023 i think 97 and a half percent was fixed you know black knight puts all these numbers out about how much is below five below four below three the pain coming at least nationally speaking, is not residential. It's multifamily, I think. Yeah, well, I, I'd agree. But I also say that I think some of that gets even, I let me say this, I agree with you, but I also think that even on the multifamily side it tends to be overstated because when you look okay. at, you look at all the debt um, mm -hmm. in the US for multifamily, there's $2 trillion multifamily debt. There's about 4% of that that's in what you'd call the risky categories, the things you just mentioned, the these new debt funds, CLOs, and of course, CMBS, like those are the more risky, uh, uh, you know, debt types. You know, I'll also give you a, 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 a different data point, like on the bank lending side, you know, about a third of multifamily debts held by banks, they're still reporting very low delinquency rates. In fact, delinquency rates in multifamily loans are even less than single family home mortgages. And that's not to say that they'll do better, but I'm talking about the bank balance sheets. Multifamily is not the albatross like office loans are. So there's now, I think what's gonna happen though, and I, again, I, I'm trying to add a little bit of nuance here, but I do agree with your point. I think there's gonna be a very loud, but small share of the market that's gonna be, gonna be pretty ugly. <laughs> Well, you did say, uh, I know we've only got a couple minutes, you have a hard stop. You did say there's some similarities between now and the GFC. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what oh. you see. Well, no, I meant like in terms of what you mentioned, like obviously like like the, the single family arm versus the, you know, like the, the, the for those you're not familiar with what's going on multifamily, like there's these groups that spun up and basically the, the strategy is, you know, you get, uh, you know, two or three year floating rate debt. You have a big value add program, capital intensive, spend millions of dollars, jack the rents up 20, 25%. Well, that works when rates are low and rents are shooting up, uh, but it doesn't work when all of a sudden you can't push the rents that much because renters have a lot more options all of a sudden. There's higher vacancy. And on top of that, now you're refinancing a much higher cost of debt. So that's what I'm talking about with like the, the similarity of like those who kind of like the arm, like that's, it's not a, that that's the part where there's a commonality there. It's it, a lot of what's coming, I think, to your earlier point is financing pain. Yeah. Right? It was, it's a bad debt structure or capital stack or whatever you want to call that, but it's pain. Yeah. Nonetheless. yeah. And it could be, and it'd be good, I think. I think too, it's, I think a lot of the headlines miss this. It's like, it's not a physical real estate issue for them. No. You can have a great asset, but no. in a lot of cases, it's the next owner who's going to do really well on that asset. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know about some class A properties that was bought at a three and a half cap. You know, if you bought that at three and a half cap IO debt that has to refine two years, you're, you're in trouble no matter what. I mean, given yeah. the cap rates are five and a half now, I mean, that's, that's just a huge move. And uh, yeah, it's, there's some pain coming. I know yeah, you're and there's oh, go ahead. Close closing thoughts and where can people find you? Oh sure. Well, let me just add too is like I think that there's gonna be I think you're gonna see some separation between 
the groups that are well capitalized and able to fill that gap through capital calls and extra capital, things like that. You know, there's going to, you know, some groups can absorb that more than others. And so I think what we're going to see is, is, uh, you know, some winnowing out of, uh, of investment groups in this cycle. But, um, um, but yeah, no, uh, you can find me on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search my name. You can also go to realpage.com slash analytics. We have a blog that has a lot of content on there, mostly about multifamily. Folks, do yourself a favor. Follow Jay Parsons. That's with an S, Parsons with an S. Uh, thank you, buddy, for being here. I appreciate you. Have a wonderful week.